Hey, it's Cody Woodard, pastor of Renovation Church in Gallatin, Tennessee. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. I hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you see that God wants to do something new in and through your life. Enjoy the message. Well, thank you so much for for being here. If I haven't had the opportunity to to get to know you or to hang out with you yet, my name is Cody Woodard. I'm a lead pastor here, and um, I'm just honored that you would spend um, an hour or so of your time on a Sunday morning to hopefully come in to hear um, about the vision that God has given us as a church and where he's taken us, but I hope you didn't just come to, to consume today, but to contribute, amen? I'm going to need you to help me preach this today because this is going to be true for your life and for, for my life, and I really do, I believe that God is, he's created you for more, that you were created on purpose and for a purpose, that your life isn't just about your life, and that God created you as an eternal being where you will spend eternity somewhere one day and that God in, comes into time and gives his life for you, that he died for you so that you can live for him and so that you and I can invest into something greater than ourself. And that's what we're going to talk about today and I'm super fired up about it. And so if, hey, if, you're, if it's your first time here, can we just give it up for our first time guest today? When you walked in, there's an orange card on your seat. There's also a connect card at any time during the service. Feel free to fill that out. You won't hurt my feelings. We have a gift for you. Just turn that in at the tent on your way out. Um, and just a little bit, just in case you're wondering kind of what today is about. Again, we're going to talk about the vision of our church and where we're headed in 2020. But today is also the day we're going to take up a one-time vision offering. And so if you're new here, there's no pressure at all. If you call Renovation Church home, we've asked you to, to pray about what that would be and what, you know, what that would look like for you and your family to give above and beyond to fuel some of the things we're going to talk about today. And so um, this past week, there was an interesting trend that hit social media. Did anybody do the decade challenge? Yes, you did. So did I. Where you posted a picture of who you were 10 years ago compared to who you were today. Um, I want to show you really quick. I'm going to take it back a little bit further, okay? So last week I turned 30. Come on, somebody. And uh, I'm going to cut my, cut my age in half. So we're going to go back to when I was 15 years old. Here's the picture. I apologize for it being a little blurry. That's me with the oversized orange shirt like I'm on the parking team and uh, backwards hat, cocked sideways. It's a little blurry because, you know, we didn't have Facebook. We have MySpace, any MySpace people in the house? You remember that? Picture's blurry. Like, what was clear then is blurry now, right? Vision changes. The pictures change. The quality changes. And, and I, I share that picture with you at 15 because it was at 15. Um, I had a vision for my life, really a dream. And like every 15-year-old dream, that dream involved a girl. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, when I was 15 years old, I uh, was outside playing with some of my friends and and hanging out, shooting some ball, and there was this girl that walked down the road, and I turned around, and she was the finest 15-year-old girl I had ever seen in my life. And come to find out, she wasn't just, like, pretty on the outside, but beautiful on the inside, and um, and was just passionate about God, and, and, and guys were scared of this girl, because they knew, like, you don't mess with her, okay? Now, on the other hand, um, I thought I looked good, but she didn't, you know? <laughs> and uh, I thought that I was like that type of guy for her, but I wasn't because I didn't really care anything about Jesus in church. But I just knew like one day that was going to happen. And so I got friend zone early on, and um, in the friend zone was miserable, and I did not like it. Um, and so one day I decided to try to break out. <laughs> you ever been there? And uh, I tried to break out of the friend zone, and, and I had this vision of how it was going to happen. Um, I was, I had this, this picture in my mind that she was going to call me up one day and, and she was going to come over and she was going to come to my house and I was going to hug her and, and she was going to hug me and she was going to look into my eyes and say, Cody, I've known this all along. Um, I love you. And I was going to look down at her and I was like, I love you too. We were just going to make out. It was going to be great, you know. 
And that's what every 15-year-old's thinking. Come on. And, uh, and so then one night I get this phone call from her, and she's like, hey, um, can I come over? I was like, yes, you can, you know. She's like, you busy? And I'm like, no, I'm not. And I put on my PlayStation remote, you know, throwing some Abercrombie and Fitch cologne. Come on. <laughs> Smelling like fierce. And she, uh, she shows up, and I walk out, and it's just like I pitch. She gets out of the car, and she comes up to me, and I hug her. And, and then the picture changed. Because I looked down, and she was crying. I was like, come on, girl, what's wrong? You know, I thought she was about to confess her love to me. She looks up, and she says, uh, well, my boyfriend just broke up with me. And I looked down at her. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and, uh, and then she said this. It was a defining moment. She said, I just wish I could find a guy who would treat me like I treat him. That I wish I could find a guy who would love me the way I loved him. And that was it, you know. That was the moment. I looked down at her, and I said, well, I would. She looked up at me, and then she got in her car, and she left. <laughs> Bye. Stayed in the friend zone. And the next couple of years, I remained in the friend zone, and she went off to college. I went off to college. And so five years later, when I'm 20 years old, here's the decade challenge. This is me when I was 20. <laughs> Woo, come on. Tats and all. You know, oh, my Lord, what a mess. It was funny this week somebody put on Facebook. They're like, man, what the Lord can do in 10 years. I was like, okay, first off. I may have looked like a mess on the outside, but Jesus had changed my life on the inside. He was just still working on me, you know? Still thought I was somebody, and uh, I did. I, I was 20 years old. I was a pike, um, perchance we've met. Um, and uh, some of you don't know what that means. Um, but I was a pike at the University of Memphis, and uh, God had changed my life when I was 19 years old. That was a year later. And if you would have asked me what my vision for my life was at 20 um, or my dream for life, I was somebody in that picture right there that I really was. I was on fire for God. You couldn't tell it because I just looked angry, you know. Um, but I, uh, I was on fire for God. And if you would have asked me, Cody, what, where do you see your life in 10 years? What's the vision? What do you want to do? I would have never said I would have been a pastor. Because, see, I didn't grow up really in church. I thought, you know, being a pastor was kind of weird. And I didn't really have the education. Just a normal dude, you know. Came to, came to know the Lord, and I just wanted other people to know him. And so if you would have asked me what I was going to do, I would have told you I was going to be a basketball coach. I was getting my degree in education, and I was going to coach in the inner city of Memphis because I've been working a job there for a little bit and seeing God do some incredible things at this, at this place called New Hope in Frazier. And, uh, and I was like, I, I'm going to be a basketball coach, and I'm going to use that as my platform to, to teach these kids what I never knew. I want to be the positive influence in their life that I didn't have. That I, not that I didn't have great parents, but, like, I just wouldn't listen to them, you know. And I, was, I don't want them to go through and do the same stupid stuff I made when I was in high school. That I wanted them to know that following Jesus was more than just a religion. It was more than just following a bunch of rules and do's and don'ts and what you can and can't wear, how you can talk and what you can and can't say. Like, I wanted them to know about the grace that changed my life. That was my vision. And that passion's still there. But it looks a lot different. Right? Ten years ago, my dream was completely different than what it may be now. And the vision is different, and that's how it works, isn't it? When you think about where you were 10 years ago and where you are now or 20 years ago and where you are now, like you may be doing something similar, but oftentimes the dream looks different in the distance. Am I right? And, uh, and so real quick, though, before we move on, to the, before I show you five years from now, uh, let's, move back, let's go back real quick. Um, let's go back to when I was uh, 15. Yep, that's me. Uh, do you notice the second arrow in this picture? So you couldn't see what you couldn't see. That, the second arrow in that picture um, was that 15-year-old girl I was talking about. And that 15-year-old girl is now my wife, Jessica Woodard. Come on, somebody. Let's go. Love it. God is faithful. 
come on, he's got a vision and dream for my life, and it includes my beautiful wife, absolutely. And so here's us like five years ago when we first got married. I'm telling you all, I had some swag. Look at this. Come on. Looking like an old Baptist preacher, you know? You know what I'm saying? I really was. I was at a Baptist church back in the day. That was us. Why did you let me dress like that, by the way? You used to lie to me and tell me I looked good. You were lying to me. That going to move the necktie. If you'd have told me five years ago that we would be standing here right now, even though I just started out as a youth pastor, I would have never thought that I would have been where I'm at now and, and now celebrating going on, you know, six, seven years of marriage. And now this is our family. I got to redeem the picture, okay? This is our family now. This is us. Man, that's Tatum. I'd have never known I was going to have a, a baby, you know? I'd have never thought that if you asked me five years ago about the vision and dream for, I had for my life, that we'd be standing here right now and planting a church and seeing hundreds of people come and seeing people give their life to the Lord every week and seeing people get baptized and new friendships being formed and God writing stories. I would have never seen it. I would have never, I would have never known that. Because here's the reality. The problem with vision, if you want to write this down, the problem with vision is your vision ain't 2020. Your vision ain't 2020. The problem with vision is you can't see what you can't see. You can only see what's on the surface. You can only see what the per- people around you let you see, and you'll only show what, the, what you want people around you to see in you. Right? That we can only see what we can see. That we can't see really a lot of the times beneath the surface. That oftentimes in life, the problems we face is that we, we look at our problems and we can only see like we're in a forest and this tree is in front of us and we can't see the rest of it. We see the scene. And that's the problem with vision is that you and I can't see what we can't see. And so what happens oftentimes is, is we become infatuated and we focus on the problem. We focus on the season we're in, not realizing that God has made us a part of a greater story to belong to. That there's something greater going on that's outside of you and outside of me. But oftentimes we just can't see it. Because we can't see what we can't see. That's what I titled today's message. If you're taking notes, you want to write that down. You can't see what you can't see. And so maybe, maybe the problem, whatever it may be in your life, one of the things that God taught me was that maybe the problem I focus on is an actual problem. If it's about vision and it's about what we can see or not see, maybe the problem isn't the problem. Maybe the problem is our perspective. Maybe it's how you're looking at the problem It's the problem. That you're seeing the scene when God sees the story. That you're seeing what's on the surface, but you can't see beneath it. That when you look at your life, you think about the times where you're lonely when you're in a crowd of people and everybody thinks you're happy, but you're not. You, when you think about the problem in your life, you think about the prayers that aren't being answered. You think about the things in your life that you wish could change. You think about the things that nobody else sees in your life that behind the scenes is a struggle or addiction that you're fighting off and no one knows about it. You think about that. If I could just get over that, then I would be good. But what if the problem isn't the problem? What if you can't see what you can't see is actually part of the solution? What if you were one prayer away from your eternity being changed forever? What if the person you've been praying for that you felt like you're going to give up on because there's no hope for them? What if they're just one conversation away and are ready to give their life to Jesus? 
What if that thing you've been battling for years, feeling like you could never overcome, what if God actually stepped in to your situation, stepped into your problem, and, and removed the desire for whatever it is that's not of him? What if what you can't see is that God wants to do a miracle in your life, but you have no idea because we're constantly staring at the problem? And so I think today God wants to shift your perspective, that God wants to give you a new vision for your life. And so today what I want to do is I want to read to you a story that I've shared honestly across the world, um, across our country. I shouldn't say across the world, across the country. And, uh, and some of you may have heard this message or heard me preach from this passage before. But as we're talking about vision, we're talking about perspective and how God maybe sees some things we don't. I begin to relook at this passage because it's an important one to me. Because as we formed our launch team together to start this church, it was the one I opened with. It was the vision I gave them about the type of church we're going to be, but really the vision I believe that God has for their life and that I believe God has for your life. And so I've preached this passage in the past, but today I want to maybe look at it from a different perspective. Can we do that? So it's in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. I'm reading from the NLT version. I'm going to start in verse 1. And we're just going to look today from a couple of different perspectives in this story. And I hope that you'll see that it's going to apply to your life. And so Mark chapter 2. If you're with me, say yeah. That's only half of you. If you're with me, say yeah. There we go. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. So let's, let's take the perspective of the paralyzed man, the perspective of the paralyzed. I want you to imagine really quick what it would have been like to have been paralyzed back then. I want you to imagine that there were no surgeries, there, there wasn't an opportunity to get a wheelchair, there wasn't an opportunity to maybe have a, a prosthetic leg. If you were paralyzed back then and, and you were in the perspective of this man, you would have lived every single day on your mat. And the way you would make your living, because you couldn't work, is that people would have to come in and they would have to pick you up and they would have to take you into the city, into the market, by the temple where people were, and you would have to beg them for money in order to eat. That's, that's what it would have been. And every night, you would go back home and they would carry you back in and you would lay on your mat and, and you would lay there with out of vision for your life, without money, struggling for food, without hope, really without a future, feeling forgotten, feeling like my life doesn't have any meaning to it. And then you hear this, and four friends are at your door. And they're like, hey, man, get up. We don't know the man's name. We're going to call him Matt. Is that okay? We'll name him Matt. It's appropriate. They're like, hey, Matt, get up. Well, I can't get up. You get me up, you know? And they come in, and they, like, pick him up. Like, bro, listen, here's what we're going to do. We heard that Jesus is in town. Everybody's going to see him. They're packing out the house. And, and we, we're going to pick you up. We're going to take you across town, and we're going to get you to Jesus. And so maybe he, we've heard he's done, some, like, some miracles. Maybe he can actually get you healed. And so these four friends, they, they pick up their boy Matt, and they carry him across town. And then they get there. And uh, our boy Matt looks at him, and he's like, well, fellas, thank you for trying, but it's packed. I mean, there's not even any room outside of the house. I mean, today's not the day that the miracle is going to happen for me. 
just go ahead and, and take me back on home. Give me some food on the way, though, you know. And, uh, but today's not the day for me. Let's go to the friend's perspective for a second. You just carried your boy all the way across town, <laughs> and you're late. Anybody ever been late to a party before? Yep, me too. It's not fun. And they get there, and, and Matt looks at him. He's like, guys, it's, it's packed. Just take me on home. And it's like, oh, no, 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 buddy. We can't stop now. We didn't carry your heavy self all the way across town to just stop. We're going to get you some new legs today. <laughs> and so they're like, oh, what do we, let's just get him on the roof. Maybe, maybe we can do something up there. And so they get their boy Matt up on the roof, and they're on the roof. And, you know, Matt's looking around just like, great view, guys, but what are we doing? And, and they're like, there's not another way. And they're like, you know what, if there's not a door, we're going to make a door. And so here are the friends getting down on their hands and on their knees, and they start to dig. And they start pulling up the rock, and they start pulling up the mud and the, the tile and the straw, and they start ripping this hole through the ceiling. And then they get Matt, and then they lower Matt down, and they hear Jesus preaching, and, and everybody's looking up at him. Can you imagine being in the room? But what in the world is going on? And these crazy friends are, like, lowering this guy down, and here he comes, and they sit him down at the feet of Jesus. And then you hear Jesus say something interesting. He says... My child, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I was a friend, I'd be like, what? Did he just say his sins? Jesus, we trying to get him some new legs, bro. <laughs> what are you talking about sins for? The perspective of the friend. Now, I want you to, let's look at the perspective from Jesus. Let's, let's see what Jesus sees in this moment. Because Jesus always sees beneath the surface. He always sees the more than what's going on that we can't see, that we don't know about. Because see, up until this point, the friends thought that their friend's issue was that he needed new legs. But Jesus saw beneath it and saw that he needed a new heart. And there's a reason for that. And so I want to I look at that. Am I painting the picture for you okay? You tracking with me? So here's Jesus. He's sitting there. And he hears these guys on the roof. And he looks up and he's like, oh, Lord, here we come. And he stops preaching and they set him down at his feet. And then that's when he says something I found really interesting. He says, seeing their faith, he turns to the paralyzed man and says, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now, did you catch that? It says, seeing their faith, he looks at him and says, you are forgiven. Whose faith did he see? Their faith. Whose sins did he forgive? His Jesus forgave him because of them. Something activates in the heart of God when you do whatever it takes to get somebody to Jesus. And so Jesus looks and says, seeing their faith. Now, that's interesting because I thought faith was something you couldn't see. I thought it was like what you believed, you know. You realize that every time faith is mentioned, that it's always accompanied with action. So he says, seeing their faith. See, maybe faith is what you can see as a result of the hope that you can't see. See, Jesus saw their faith because their faith saw their friend. That's good. Can I ask you something? Does your faith see people? Like, do you, do you see people? Do you see that maybe the problem isn't the problem? That you can't see what you can't see? And so you take the time to not just simply hang out with people on a surface level, but you go deeper. And then you realize that there's more to the story than what you thought. 
And so Jesus says, seeing their faith, he looks at the man and says, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is important. Why would he forgive his sins? I mean, why, why, would, he, why would he say that, right? Well, during this time, sin and suffering were connected. What they believed, what they were taught, what this man on the mat would have believed was that the reason he was paralyzed was because of the sins of his ancestors. And the greater the sin, the greater the suffering. And so he would have lived his life every day on this mat, feeling like that his condition was based upon something somebody else did. And therefore God or the gods were angry at him that turned their back on him and they basically left him to die. That there was nothing he could do about the condition, that he didn't necessarily do anything to get it, but now God was mad at him and angry at him and that he had no purpose in life and that he was just left to, to just be there, to lay around, to buy time on earth. And then Jesus says something important. He says, my child, he looks at him, sees beneath the surface and speaks with an authority of a heavenly father. And he says, I see you. Can I just tell somebody in the room I, that God actually sees you? The real you? Not the Instagram you? Not the decade challenge you? But the real you? The one who maybe like this man on the mat wonders if anybody cares. The one that like the man on this mat feels like you have no purpose in life. The one that feels abandoned to the men who think that they don't have what it takes and that live in fear in supporting their family and feel this tremendous amount of pressure to maybe live up to be a dad that maybe you never had. To the mom who is wondering if her kids are going to grow up the way she wanted them to grow up. But God sees you beneath the surface. That we can't see what we can't see. But God always sees what we can't see. That you may not have a vision for your life. That you may not have 20-20 vision. But God does. And what seems blurry to you may be clear to him. And so he says he looks at the man with this heavenly father love. And he says, my child, your sins are forgiven. It's the love of the Father, and in that moment, he let him know, listen, man, I see you. I'm not angry at you. I'm not punishing you. I love you. I have a purpose for your life. So you don't have to lay around wondering in guilt and in shame because I love you. My child, your sins are forgiven. Now, anytime we see a miracle happen in, in Scripture or really anytime we see a move of God happen, there's always a couple of things that are in this formula. The first one is that there's always a problem. In this story, the problem is the paralyzed man. The problem is that when they get to the house, it's full and there's no more room. And, and what we know from a miracle or we know from a movement that there's a problem, and if there's a problem, there has to be a solution, right? And so let me just say this again. Maybe the problem isn't the problem in your life. Maybe the problem is your perspective. And if you're wanting God to do something great in your life, and if you're wanting to see him move in your life, that that movement is going to be the result of a problem. That God wants to have, a, that there's a solution to your problem, and that solution is your Savior, Jesus. And so in every move, you have a problem, and you have a Savior. And then you have a vehicle that gets the problem to the Savior. And in every situation, what we see is you have people who are for, 
and people who are against. Am I wrong? You see people who are for it, who are excited, the four friends. Man, the faith to, to do whatever it took to get them to Jesus. If they got to tear through the roof, I'm going to tear. It's crazy faith. It's like you got, it's that young faith, you know? It's that 20-year-old faith that's just like, I'm just going to go change the world. I don't care who it, what I got to do. It's that kind of faith. I'm going to carry the mat. Do you have that kind of faith? It's the, it's the faith to do whatever it takes to get someone to the feet of Jesus, to get them to the house that you know Jesus is going to be in and knowing that Jesus can work a miracle in their life, that he can see what you can't see and that he can do what you can't do. But then there's always opposition. So just because you may have some haters in your life doesn't mean that God's not working. Just because it doesn't feel good, just because you might get some pushback, there's always people who are for you and who are against you. And so when you read this story, here's what happens next. It says this, it says, But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Watch this. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your heart? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And then the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers. And they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. See, his friends got him forgiven, but his haters got him healed. That he says that the son of man, that I have authority on earth to forgive sins, that you're right, only God can forgive, and I am he, that I am the father. That I came into time, that I left my heavenly throne to come to this earth to love and to die for you so that you can love and live for me. He says he knew, they, he knew what they were thinking. And he says, I, I'm going to prove to you that I have the authority on earth to forgive sins. And so you want him to see a miracle? You want to you believe that I can heal him? Get up, take your mat, and go home. And he changes his name from Matt to Walker. Come on, somebody. That's what he does. Now, courtesy of Josh Lasseter, my best friend. Um, do you notice what he says, though, that I found really interesting? He says, you're forgiven and you're healed. Now get up, take your mat, and walk. Why take his mat? Why? He don't need it. He can walk now. His name is Walker. Why in the world would he say take his mat? Hey, get up, take your mat, and walk. Here's why. Because Jesus turns mats into messages. That the problem ain't the problem. That Jesus will take that thing that has been defining your life, that thing that you feel paralyzed in, the thing you feel stuck in, the thing you feel lonely in, the thing you think that is keeping you from living the life God's called you to live. And what he'll do is he will turn your mat into your message. And it says that he gets up and he takes his mat and he walks out through the stunned onlookers. And they say, we have never seen anything like this before. I don't know about you, but I just want us to be a church that when the city, that when the world looks in at this place, they declare, we've never seen anything like this before. 
Not because of who we are. We're simply just a vehicle. We're not the solution. That's Jesus. Our job, your job, my job, is that God would somehow use us in our brokenness, in our problems, to actually get people to him. That he wants to turn your mess into your message. That the problem you've been facing, what if, what if God wanted to use it as a platform to bring him glory? That God actually wants to get glory from your story. That your story is bigger than just your story. Your story is tied in with his story. See what I did there? History. History. Come on. And uh, your story is connected to something greater than yourself. That you weren't designed to just build a dynasty on earth. You were designed to leave a legacy. See, building a dynasty is all about what I can get. Leaving a legacy is about what all I can give. What all I can leave. That my life means more than just this moment in time. That Jesus stepped into time, gave his life for me so that now I could live for him. So that now I could live for something greater. So that now I can live for eternity. And that he will take your mat into your message. And he will use it to bring him glory. Amen? So this is the part in the message where I, um, I try not to cry. I'm going to have a hard time probably. Because I just, I want to share with you a story. Um, I don't want to just stand up here and preach something um, without giving you an example of how I've actually seen it played out in my own life. And so there was this, uh, this situation that happened about two years ago. See, when I showed you that picture of my, my son, um, you want to throw it back up there. Like when you look at that picture of me, my wife, and my son, and you see them smiles. Them smiles are real. Even his smile is real. In between crying, of course. <laughs> you should have seen the photographer. She was jumping around. Praise God for good photographers. Amen. And, um, but what you don't see is what we don't share. You can't see what you can't see. What you don't know is that two years before that moment, that those smiles weren't present. Because Jessica and I had went through a miscarriage. Well, she went through the miscarriage. And I just had to. I just had to be there as her husband. Nothing I could really do. And I just remember night after night, we, we just wondered, like, why? And we were angry, and we were hurt, and we were struggling, and it caused tension in our marriage, and we just didn't understand. We didn't get it. Like, why would that happen? Anybody ever had a situation in their life that happened, and you just didn't know why? Anybody thankful for the kids screaming downstairs having some fun right now? Let's go. And um, and then we never knew what God could do through such a tragic event. What was a mat for us? What felt paralyzing and 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 almost had us wondering, like, will we even like? How do we get through this? How do we even make it? How do we? Are we? Is our marriage going to be okay? Or like, what are we going to do? Do we keep trying? Do we not keep trying? Is there a deeper issue? We we don't know. And so, I want to share with you just a. A story that's not really about about us, but that how God maybe will take the thing that's going on in your life to shift somebody else's perspective. See, you can't see what you can't see. You don't know how your mat, you don't know how your problem could actually help the people around you unless you share it.
unless you carry the mat. Dang it, I'm going to try not to cry. I want to I read to you a story. Um, I want to read to you an email I received by a guy in this church, by a couple in this church named Chase and Caleb Breeden. The picture of them is above me. Aren't they beautiful? Is it up there yet? Oh, yeah, there it is. Look at that smile. I want to read this to you. Is that okay? On March 12, 2016 was the day we committed our lives to each other. We wrote our own vows and centered our promises and the plans we felt God had had for us and our family. We both served in our church and tried what we thought was our best to live godly lives. About one year into our marriage, we entered a storm that would turn our world completely upside down. After asking some questions and a handful of doctor visits, we came to the realization that infertility was going to be a very real thing for us. The vision we had had for our family was shattered, and we didn't know what we were going to do. While Kayla seemed to cope by serving more at church and looking for answers from God, I fell off the wagon almost entirely. Instead of leaning on God, I relied on my own understanding and tried to fill the void that left with worldly things. I still served in my position, but only out of obligation. Although I wasn't where I needed to be with God, I still couldn't shake the feeling that he was calling us to something else. I talked to Kayla about it, and she felt the same way. We just weren't sure what it was he was calling us to do, so we began to really seek his voice. We prayed and listened for about a year, what seemed like no answer. We liked some local church pages on social media in hopes that maybe something would jump out as something we felt led to be a part of. And we kept gravitating towards posts from the Renovation Church launch team. I'd mention it to Kayla, she'd mention it to me, but I wasn't sold on the idea of leaving our current church yet. I'm an introvert to the fullest extent of the word. He loves it when I make him talk to my, his neighbors. And uh, he says, in our church, then consisted mostly of my family and a handful of others, so it was well within my comfort zone. I was home alone one day and left with the chore. I love this. And left with the chore of painting our back door. Men, aren't you thankful for the household chores you get handed? Come on. But you can't see what you can't see. I started out painting and listening to music, but nothing seemed to match my mood that morning. Something, which I now know to be the Holy Spirit, kept leading me to listen to one of Pastor Cody's previous sermons. Cody started the sermon with a story of how he met Jessica and how they, their family came to be what it is now. He began to talk about the things that nobody saw. He mentioned the typical faults that couples have. But then he mentioned after, but what he mentioned next really caught my attention. He mentioned the sleepless nights that set up wondering whether or not they'd be able to have children. And he mentioned the mental and emotional struggles that the possibility brought them both. We were a couple of months into our first round of IVF at this point. So that hit really close to home to me. I listened to the rest of his sermon and bawled my eyes out while I was finished painting the door. When Kayla got home, I told her I was ready to give renovation a try. And we made plans to attend the launch team meeting the following Sunday. That Sunday, we were met with open arms. Pastor Cody spoke on the core values of the church and why each one was so important. We knew right away at Renovation Church was the thing God had been calling us to. We knew that it would bring a lot of change and that I would have to venture very far from my comfort zone. But for what felt like for the first time, I was ready to listen to what God was telling me. So week after week we attended. Week after week we were met with new friendships. Week after week God spoke to us. And it was very clear that we were entering a new season in our lives. We both began to see things differently. Instead of asking God why, we began thanking him for what he had given us. We had spent so much time looking at the storm of infertility that we had lost sight on the fact that he was still in control. Come on, Chase, preach that. That he was still in control. 
he'd given us the option of in vitro fertilization. He put both of us into the jobs that would work with all of our doctor's appointments and allow us to cover the cost of the treatments he provided all along because although we may not always be faithful, he is. Amen? He says, so today, we are thankful to our God. We're thankful for his provision. We're thankful for his guidance. We're thankful for the community he's led us to here. We're thankful for the opportunity to serve with our gifts and our talents. We're thankful for the love and the compassion he has shown us through each one of you. And we're thankful for his endless love and his unfailing forgiveness. We know that he has given us our story so that we might help others in a similar situation. And we've already had several opportunities to do so. We have no doubt that he will bless us with a family in his own timing. He is faithful. He is true. He is our God. I don't know who this is speaking to right now. Some of you in here today may have came in and you may know what it means to be forgiven. But you haven't experienced what it feels like to be free that there's a problem going on in your life and that you feel stuck on and that there's a mat that you feel paralyzed in and that you just feel like there is no hope. And I don't know who that story is supposed to help today, but I just want you to know that God sees you and that God wants to turn your mat into a message, that God wants to get glory out of your story, that you have no idea what God can do in and through your life. That you were created for more. You were created on purpose and for a purpose. I'm not saying that God is somehow teaching you a lesson by letting you go through some things. But what I am saying is that when the, whatever the enemy meant for evil, he will turn it for good. He will use whatever it is in your life, whatever problem you're facing, and he will use it as a platform to help other people come to know the love and the grace and the mercy and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. It's how our God works. That's who he is. He is faithful to his promise. And so some of you today, your next step is it's time to get off the mat. It's time to stand up, pick up your mat, and walk because you have been forgiven and you've been set free. That the thing that has defined your life no longer has to define your life. You're not a slave to sin. You are a child of God. And that now you are who he says you are and you can live out the life he's called you to live. You don't have to have 2020 vision to do what God has called you to do. So many times we keep asking God for clarity, but God is just saying, do you have the courage? You don't gotta have 2020 vision because you have a God who does. It may look blurry to you, but it's clear to him. And so if you would just do what you knew, you don't need a sign, you got the scriptures. God is clear about who you are and what he's called you to do, that you were created to follow him. You were created for community. You were created on purpose because he wants to make a difference through your life. So as I, I read this story and I started thinking about the vision for our church in 2020 and who we are, we wanna be a church that's gonna carry the mat. Amen? We're gonna be a church that's for the one. We're going to be the church for the lonely, for the broken, but we're also going to be the church for, for people in this city who maybe grew up in church believing the lie that who they are was based on what they do, that they don't have a testimony, that they don't have a story, that their life is just consisted of, of being in church and doing all the right things. Like we're going to be a church that's for everyone. 
that we're going to go after the people and we'll do whatever it takes short of sin to get people to the feet of Jesus. Amen? We're going to be for people. We're not going to get focused on all the stuff that divides us. We're going to get focused on the thing that unites us, and that's Jesus, that's love, that's grace, and that is truth. You can't separate the two. So we will lead with grace and with truth. It's why in, starting in January, we're going to do something that we call Love One. Love One. Where every week you're going to have the opportunity to give $1 above and beyond what you normally give so that we as a community, we as a church can just love someone in our community, that we can love one family, that we can love one business so that we can let them know they ain't in this fight alone and we're gonna do whatever it takes to help carry them from one season into another. We're gonna be for the one. We're gonna be for our city. It's why, it's why in the spring, we're gonna be doing something called Love Day where we don't just meet here, but we go out into our community and we partner with other organizations. We see the needs around us. We see beneath the surface and we take, we take time to actually get to know where people are at and we meet them where they're at and we meet them with the needs because God has given us what we need to bring him glory to his name. And then we're just, we're gonna be for the world. That's why in a few minutes, I'm gonna show you a video of just how as a church, we're gonna begin to engage in world missions. We're gonna be, begin to engage in reaching people that we could never reach from this building and invest into pastors and to church planners who are planting churches all over this country, who are planting churches in Mexico, because we want to raise up the next generation of pastors and churches so people can know Jesus. That's the heart and vision of this church. We want to change the world. That when people look at renovation, that they see some people who are crazy, who are willing to do whatever it takes to reach people for Jesus. So as I took a look at the first century church, as I took a look at how this movement of Christianity began, how this church began, you realize that you and I are the product of the church, that we are the church, that it's not a different church back then than it is now, that because there were some faithful men who were uneducated, who were willing to do what it took, who were just crazy and young enough to believe that God could use them, you and I are sitting here today and they gathered in homes and they met the needs of the people around them and they shared meals and they prayed together and they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what you see in Acts 2 is the community as the the movement of, of Jesus begins. And then there's this incredible story that we can't miss. See, that day when Jesus performed the miracle and forgave the man and healed him, he could walk. There's a guy there by the name of Peter. And I just don't think it's accident, but after this moment when the church first gets started in Acts chapter 2, then in Acts chapter 3, what happens next is, is that Peter and John, Peter and John are headed to the temple to pray. And on their way to the temple, they see a man who is paralyzed from birth on a mat. Been paralyzed for 40 years. He's sitting outside the temple gate begging for money. And they said, man, listen, we don't have any silver or gold to give you, but we do have what you need. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up, take your mat, and walk. And the man gets up and is healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. But in every story, there's a problem. They give them the solution, but then there's some haters. There's some people that's upset. And so in Acts chapter 4, I'm just going to read this to you because there's a phrase in this at the very end 
that as we talk about who we are as a church and what we're declaring and believing God for in 2020, it comes from this. Acts chapter four, verse eight, it says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you wanna know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Watch Peter. The man you crucified by whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that your builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That's why we say Jesus is our message. That there is no other name under heaven by which, Jesus, which, which we may be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. That's how I want to be recognized, don't you? Some people who had been with Jesus. They recognized them because they had been with Jesus. But since they couldn't, they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men? We can't deny they've performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. Everybody in the city knows. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Now watch their reply. But Peter and John replied, don't you think God wants us to obey you rather than them? Do you think that God wants us to obey you rather than him? And then here's where the phrase comes from. For 2020 for our church that I'm fired up about, they say this, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. That we can't stop telling about everything we have seen and everything that we heard. That we can't stop. That's the phrase. That we can't stop. That what got us here is not going to get us there. That we can't stop loving people that we can't stop talking about what Jesus has done in our life, that we can't stop what God is doing in our city, we can't stop telling about what God is doing in our church, we can't stop forgiving people, we can't stop loving people, we can't stop on our marriage, we can't stop investing into the next generation, we can't stop serving this community because Jesus says he's going to build his church and the gates of hell can't stop it. We are that church. I need 30 people right now to stand up to your feet and declare that we can't stop because we know that the best is yet to come and that breakthrough is coming. Come on somebody, sing this with us. Thank you so much for listening to the message today. I hope it encouraged you. We would love the opportunity to pray for you. Send an email to info at renovation.church And if you would like to partner with us financially and help us reach people with the message of Jesus, you can do so at renovation.church slash give. Have a great day.